Hey, it's uh, once again, uh, my name is uh, Pastor Dwayne Cross, and it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, yeah, I was the pastor here for many years, from 2000 to uh, 2015, where I, when I retired, and, uh, and yeah, we're now we're sharing our back here as worshipers, and we love being here, and I love to help out uh, with Doug whenever I can. So Tuesday was his surgery, and so Tuesday afternoon, I started getting texts from Doug. So uh, they were these kind of texts. Man, I really appreciate you. Man, I really love you. I knew he was juiced on drugs. I knew it. But it was like, give me a Miller Lite. You know, I love you, man. It's just so great. You know, it was really, really great. So he's doing better now and, uh, and uh, making good progress. So uh, the message this morning, um, uh, you can tell, ask Sherry, this has kind of been in me for a while, and it had to come out. And uh, so... You are the recipients, you and those who are watching on Facebook. Uh, I believe this is a word from God, and uh, there will be a couple of times, moments, when you kind of say, you know, Dwayne, you just kind of shifted from preaching to meddling, and just hang on, because we'll get there together. But uh, uh, I just believe that um, God wants to do something uh, in our lives. He's done it in my life, and uh, I believe that uh, he wants you to experience something wonderful and mysterious and miraculous today. So if you'll just uh, join me for a, a brief prayer. If you feel comfortable extending your hands as kind of a, just a sign of receptivity to the word of God. And I would like to pray. Father, here we are, um, a band of believers in this place, um, along with many other believers in our community and throughout the country and in our world. And Father, we are those who now welcome you into this space. We welcome you into our lives once again. And we pray that uh, this word would be planted securely in our hearts and our souls and that we would receive it, believe it, and use it for your glory. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to each and every one of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Well, I'd like to talk to you today about the greatest mystery in the history of the world. Now, I know usually in preaching, you're supposed to kind of under-promise and over-deliver. Well, I'm kind of messing that up right from the beginning. Uh, in our men's group on Friday, uh, I, somebody asked me if I was preaching this week, and uh, I said, yes. And he said, well, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on uh, the greatest mystery in the history of the world. And Ryan immediately said, oh, you mean women. See, yeah. <laughs> That's the second greatest mystery in the history of the world, Ryan. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, so I'd, I'd love to share that with you today. So I'd like to take you on a journey uh, from the past. And let's start with that rascal that we all identify with, Simon Peter. Now, the reason I call him a rascal is because this guy had the greatest faith and the greatest mess-ups in the history of the world, and he's just like me, and I'm sure he's just like you. So we start with him along with his brother Andrew. Uh, They were the first to be invited to be followers of Jesus. Matthew 4.19 says, come follow me, and I will show you how, not ha, we got a little deal there, how to fish for people. Matthew 4.19. And at once, Peter and Andrew left their nets and became a follower of Jesus. 
I mean, this is amazing that they would do it so quickly and so abruptly, but they did. But then we see Peter in other ways. So there was a time when Peter and the disciples were in a boat and there was a storm. And Jesus, if you recall the story, came walking towards them. It's pretty cool, right? Walking on water towards them. And uh, the disciples were kind of in awe of that. But they're also terrified that they're going to die. So uh, uh, Peter said, Jesus, I want to come to you. And of course, Jesus said, sure, come on, you know. There's plenty of room out here. This is the ocean, right? Come on. So Peter jumps out of the boat, starts walking towards Jesus. And then as he kind of lost his attention on Jesus, my guess is he looked around to make sure the disciples were seeing how cool he was. Uh, He took his eyes off of Jesus. He began to sink into the water. And then the most famous prayer that anyone's ever prayed in the history of mankind is, Lord, save me, right? And, of course, the Lord did. So that was Peter in his uh, weakened state of faith. And then the other time, Jesus said, uh, hey, guys, uh, what's the word on the street about me? And uh, who do people say that I am? And uh, Peter pipes up and says, hey, you, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. And Jesus said, man, you got it right on, Peter. And then another time, uh, Peter cut off the ear of the priest uh, or the... um, Uh, the servant of the priest, uh, Malchus, had cut off his ear, and Jesus had to do some, you know, miraculous surgery on the spot, and that was a mess. And then Peter also said, I will do anything for you. I will follow you anywhere. I will believe in you. I will die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, I I hear you're you're very enthusiastic, Peter, but, you know, before the the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, we see Peter denying Jesus one time to a middle school girl. I mean, this is just ridiculous how his faith was so high and so low. And then Peter disappeared during the, during the uh, crucifixion. And uh, later he showed up on the beach when Jesus was resurrected. And he's kind of a little bit shy and sheepish coming to Jesus but he does, and Jesus is kind of cooking breakfast for the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he, uh, as he's cooking, he says, hey, Peter, come here, I want to talk to you. Peter comes over, and, and Jesus kind of looks at him, whispers, he said, um, Peter, do you love me? This is the guy that, you know, maybe 36 hours earlier denied him. Do you love me? No. Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Three times he does this, and Peter receives that restoration, that uh, newness in his life and his heart that he needed. And then uh, Pentecost, my goodness, Pentecost. So Peter's preaching, and Pentecost, all the uh, uh, Jews from all over the country, from hundreds of miles away, come to Jerusalem. And uh, so there's all these people speaking all these different languages, and they're there, and Peter preaches this sermon, and at the end of the sermon, this is every preacher's dream, (laughs) 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. 3,000 people. Man, that's Peter at his best, right? This is the guy, up and down. And then later, he becomes leader of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes bishop of Rome. And then he is martyred in A.D. 64. So you wonder, in those 30 years that he was walking with Jesus and serving Jesus, all the things that he saw, the good and the bad, the great things and the terrible things. I mean, remember, he was around to see Nero at his worst, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, 
doing all of the worst things you can possibly imagine. And I'm sure Peter thought before he died, he said, is this thing going to really work? Is this thing we call Christianity, is this thing that we call the way, that's what they called it then, is this really going to work? Is this movement actually going to get any traction or are we all just going to die like me? Paul dies a couple years after Peter. Is this thing just going to go away? Now let's help Peter. So let's say he can time travel a little bit, right? So let's move him from before he's martyred to A.D. 80. Okay, now he's standing in front of this glorious 10-year project called the Colosseum. And in the Colosseum, it was designed to, for gladiator fights. It was designed for killing Christians. It was designed for celebrations, all kinds of things. But in, in, in each of the entrances, there was a sign that said, all praise to the Emperor Titus. Okay, that's, that's what was seen and known. And this place was built for the emperor, and it was built to honor the emperor, to pay homage to the emperor, and also at the same time to extinguish this ridiculous sect that started, you know, 50 years before. It, it's going to be... So Peter's wondering, is this going to really make... Is this going to make it? And then fast forward again to 200 and some years later. Uh, 313 AD, the Edict of Milan... And um, here, all of a sudden, Constantine says, uh, we're going to be a Christian empire. <laughs> and Peter looks at that and says, how on earth did we get from there to there? How did we get from an itinerant preacher with a bunch of scrubs walking around the worst part of Galilee to this place where the Roman Empire is now the Holy Roman Empire? How did that ever happen? And then fast forward again. 2016. Sherry and Dwayne Cross are in Rome because of this amazing gift that you gave to them as a retirement gift. By the way, I'm retiring again if you ever want to do that again. <laughs> anyway, no, forget that. So we're in Rome and we're in this amazing cruise and we standing at the, we're standing at the Colosseum and those entrances where they said, all hail, all praise to Titus. You know what's up there now? A cross. Of Jesus Christ. All of the entrances are crosses. There's crosses everywhere. All through Rome, the, the very hotbed of Christianity in the world is in Rome. And Peter says, how did that ever happen? That is the most enormous, the greatest miracle, mystery that anyone could ever imagine. How did that ever happen? Here's the mystery the greatest mystery in the history of the world. How did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, Galilee was nothing, who, whose leader was rejected by his own people, crucified by the Roman government, by the way, crucifixion was the worst death possible, how did this movement survive and thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance? impossible. Or, to say it another way, how did it come about that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? Secular and religious people together say, this is the greatest mystery the world has ever known. How did this happen? Listen to Karen Armstrong, the author of the book Fields of Blood. Against all odds, by the third century, 
Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. She claims that this is the greatest mystery in the history of the world. How did this happen? It makes no sense. There's nothing like this anywhere historically. What did God use to make this miracle happen? Well, let's go back to Peter. In Matthew 16, Jesus Jesus and his disciples arrive in Caesarea. Now, they'd been run out of many towns by this point. Jesus is getting very famous among the people, seeing the miracles and everything. There's a large following, and so these magistrates of different towns and cities kick Jesus out, so he shows up in Caesarea. And, uh, And that's when the disciples, that's when Jesus asked the disciples, uh, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, they don't, they don't know, really know. Jesus said, well, here's an even more important question. He's asking these 12 disciples, who do you say that I am? So listen to these uh, verses in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. Then he asked them, Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. There's a good good Peter moment right there, right? Okay, there's when he's right on top of things. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, Cephas, rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, Jesus was not just talking to Peter. He was talking to the disciples. And he was talking to the generations after of Christ followers. And he was talking to you and to me. You're the son of God, the anointed one, Peter said. You're the Messiah. Jesus said, yeah, you're the rock. And then he said, upon which I am going to build my church. The word church is ecclesia. And that word has nothing to do with a building. As much as I love our building, and I love the fact that we burned the mortgage a few months ago, right? Uh, But it's not the building, the church means gathering, called out assembly, or congregation. Now, in about the fourth century, when they were translating from German to Latin, the New Testament, uh, they used the German word kirche, K-I-R-C-H-E. I think that's how it's pronounced, which means building. And that forever got implanted in the New Testament uh, text, and so that when people read church, They thought of a building. But the word never was to be meant to be a building. We need buildings, of course, but it was not meant to be that. The church was an assembly, a gathering, a movement. It was never anything other than that. To this day, the church is a gathering right here, Facebook, all around us, uh, all the other covenant churches in Arizona, Crossroads, uh, Cornerstone, uh, all the different churches, Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, all of, the, all of these are the gathering and the movement. And here's 
what Jesus said to the disciples. Nothing will stop my movement, my gathering. Peter says, uh, you mean the 12 of us and these random women that come along with us and these other people that are kind of joining the group? We're going to do that. We're the movement. We're the church. We're the ones that even hell will not destroy. Is that actually what you're trying to say? And Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I still believe with all my heart that the church, local church is the hope of the world. What God did in those first 300 years, from the beginning of the church at Pentecost until the Edict of Milan, what happened in those 300 years was absolutely unbelievable. And it happened in a way that we can't even imagine today. Because those early Christ followers, they had zero leverage. I mean, today we have beautiful buildings and we have some political leverage. I hate the fact that we do, but there's some of that going on. And we have financial leverage, educational leverage. We have brilliant people involved in being a Christ followers. All these things we have today, they had none of those things for the three, first 300 years. I'll tell you, the only thing they had was this. They had the love of Jesus. They didn't have the Bible. They had random copies of different Paul's letters, but nobody had a Bible, not until the fourth century. But they had the love of Jesus in their lives. And that gospel spread, and it spread, and it spread, in spite of enormous persecution. The estimations that in these past 2,000 years, 70 million Christians have been martyred. Two-thirds of them in the last 25 years. You know, we think of how bad it was in Paul's day, right? But this movement, how on earth did it ever survive? How did it ever make it to where it is today? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Jesus said, nothing will stop my movement. Nothing will stop my church. Jesus, my favorite prophecy of all of Jesus' prophecies was this. He said, nothing will conquer it. Not even the power of hell will conquer the church. We are the fulfillment of that prophecy. Sitting in this room, watching on Facebook today, we are the fulfillment of that, proper, uh, that prophecy. Jesus predicted it. Jesus predicted us. The band of believers, they gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus and to each other. What was so remarkable about this day laborer preacher and his, list, his length of followers? See, when Jesus came to earth and started teaching, he turned the world and the understanding of power and strength upside down. See, how is it possible that someone who claims to be king, actually not just king, but king of kings, how is it possible that the king is the one that bows down to you? The king bows down to the disciples and washes their feet. That's not what kings do. Kings have their feet washed, but this king said, no, things are going to be different from now on. The Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Those who mourn, those who are humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. Those are the people who are blessed. Because they loved each other, they laid down their life for each other. For 300 years, this movement changed the world and is still changing 
today. Listen to what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. Not 36, Corey, wherever you are. Okay. John 13, 34 and 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Now when Jesus said the actual words in that phrase mean I'm giving you a commandment that's more important than every commandment you've ever heard of. I'm giving you a commandment that means more and has more teeth than all of the 612 commandments in the Old Testament and all of the thousands of many commandments that came out of those. I'm giving you a commandment that supersedes all of those. So pay attention. Yeah, but I don't want to eat uh, pork. No, pay attention. This is the commandment that matters, okay? Listen to what he says. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. And the way that I have loved you, how did I love you? I went to the cross and died for your sins. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's the mystery. This movement of love, this movement of reconciliation, this movement of salvation to all people. Listen to author Bert Ehrman what he says in his book, The Triumph of Christianity. By the way, this guy's an atheist. Listen to this. Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, and philosophy. Now, this is so amazing what he says next. And on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding billions of people had about what it means to be human. Jesus came, turned everything upside down, and he gave dignity and worth to all people, regardless of color, regardless of race, regardless of male, female. This is what he said in Galatians 3. All are one in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. There is no longer slave and free. There is no longer male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. This was revolutionary, and it's changed the world. Now, we still struggle with some of these areas. We still struggle with racism. We still struggle with how we treat women. All of these things. We're still struggling with it. But Jesus was the one that came and said, no, everything that's being done in the world, not just the Roman Empire, in the world today regarding women and children and racism and all that is going to change. It's all going to change. And it revolutionized the world. When Jesus unleashed his agenda on the world, it started with those 12 disciples, and then 500 disciples, and then 612 disciples, and then thousands of disciples. Are you ready for this? Until today, 2.6 billion Christians. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's plan A, and there's no plan B. It's plan A. You are part of plan A, and there's no plan B. The answer to that mystery that no one could figure out is very simple. The power of the Holy Spirit invading human beings like you and like me, changing the world through the love of Jesus Christ. That's how that mystery happened. And it can happen again. Bert Ehrman goes on and says, however one evaluates the merits of the movement, no one can deny it was the most monumental transformation our world has ever seen. Listen, this movement, this gathering that we call the church. Are you listening, Hope Covenant Church? We are the stewards of that movement. That movement has been given to us. We are that 
movement. The responsibility of future generations, of these teenagers, of these children, is up to us. It's the church of Jesus Christ that changes the world and nothing else. And here's the deal. We can choose, right? I've, I've done a whole sermon series years ago on the difference between a Christian and a disciple. Some of you remember that. I mean, a Christian can be defined any way you want it to be. A Christian can be an American, can be a Westerner, a Republican, a Democrat. It can be anything. You can just define it. But a disciple is someone who looks at Jesus' life and hears his words and says, that's me. I'm on board. I'm going to do that. I'm going to say that. I'm going to see that. I'm going to be that. I'm going to live that. That's me. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So we can choose. And some of you might say, okay, my choice is I just want to be a Christian, right? I'm good. I prayed the prayer when I was eight years old. You know, I bought the T-shirt. <laughs> I attend church. Uh, I've got the, uh, you know, I've got the stamp on my forehead. Uh, I've got my Bible marked up. I, I go to church. I, you know, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm good. Or you can engage and be the church that changed the world. I'll tell you what, folks. Um, I'm 73 years old, and um, it's not too late to make a difference in the world. Same for you. We have uh, really close friends. In fact, some of you know uh, Brian Pollard. Brian was my youth pastor for 13 years, 13 of the 15 years that I served this church and um, did a wonderful job as our, our youth pastor. Well, he and his wife, Christine, recently, uh, they, go to the, they go to the Grove, that really excellent church in, uh, in Gilbert. Uh, they go to the Grove, and recently they went on a mission trip to Malawi, Africa. And it was with a group of about uh, maybe 60 people, honey, something like that, and, uh, you know, adults. And they had all kinds of things they were doing. They were going to the ABC, which is the African Bible College, started by that church many years ago. And they had an orphanage involved and schools involved, and they had all these kids doing it. And all these pe- they went over there, and they ministered to these people. And they kept sending us back pictures. And all these little black faces that are filled with joy. They don't have anything that our kids have. And yet there's all this joy and this just beauty in their face. And so Brian and Christine are there. And they're making an impact. And they're meeting with uh, some of the teachers at ABC, African Bible College. And they're meeting with these children. And since they've gotten back, they've been getting texts from some of these people saying... Thank you for being with us. Thank you for telling us about Jesus. Thank you for this. Is that someone who's just a Christian? Is that someone who's just going through the motions? Or is it someone who said, no, I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to... Now, I'm not telling you you all have to go to Africa. Probably wouldn't hurt you a bit, but you don't have to do that. There's a thousand other things you can do. But let me tell you, we have a choice. We can either be a Christian or we can be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower, and change the world because you are the gathering. And the the gathering is the word, not the building. You are the gathering. You are the movement. You are the church of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors, the Bible says. We are stewards of this gospel. We are stewards of this movement. Yeah, but Pastor Dwayne, you're getting all excited about this stuff. I, I don't know. All I know is I look around and I see that the church seems to be losing its power, losing its way of doing things in the world. Uh, Ever since COVID, attendance at churches in the United States is down 30%. And it doesn't seem like it's coming back. Uh, the, the, The church seems to be diminishing 
in our world. And uh, so I'm not sure that what you're saying really is really true, that, that we, this, this motley crew, this movement of God can make a difference in the world? Well, I believe, I believe we can. Now, granted, there is a lot of evidence that the church, it started in Europe uh, 75 years ago, and where the church lost its influence in Europe. And you go there now, and these beautiful cathedrals are empty. And, and now it seems to be affecting the United States as well. A lot of reasons for that. We won't go into that. But um, a lot. So things have changed. Let me give you some examples. Um, let's put up some statistics here. So uh, the Center for Study on Global Christianity, April 2022. Christian population in the United States in 1990 was 85%. People claimed to be Christians. In 2022, uh, it's between 65 and 70%, or approximately 250 million Christians out of 330 million uh, Americans. But another stat statistic I didn't put up there, in 1950, 95% of Americans said they were Christians. So you can see how we're steadily losing influence in terms of the world. Now, Christians, you know what I'm saying. Some people maybe weren't Christians, but they claimed to be because they grew up in a church or something. But that's what people were saying. That's how things have changed. Now, I will say this. Uh, in our world today, there are two denominations that seem to be still, not seem to be, are growing still. One is a small denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church of America. That's us. We're one of two denominations that are growing, albeit slowly, but we are growing. The other one is the uh, uh, Assembly of God. Uh, they are growing. All other denominations, all other flavors, are losing, 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 losing. Yet, worldwide, that's that's United States, worldwide, 2.6 billion people in the world claim to be Christians out of 7.8 billion people on the earth. That's one out of every three humans claim to be Christian. Let me give you an example. Brazil. 235 million Christians in Brazil. 88% of their population. Brazil. Ethiopia, 180 million Christians, 60% of their population claim to be Christian. The Congo, Zaire, where the, the Evangelical Covenant Church has made the most inroads in terms of uh, missions. We've been going there for over 100 years to Zaire, Congo. They can't figure out what their name is. Uh, uh, 170 million Christians in Congo, 95% of their population, much higher than the United States. And China, in spite of intense persecution, 100 million Christians in China. And this movement is growing, listen, this movement in China is growing eight times faster than the population. The Christian population is growing eight times faster than the population of China. Now, I recognize that the greatest influence of Christianity has shifted, right, from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. There's a lot of reasons for that. But what we need to know is this, that the church of Jesus Christ, this gathering, this movement, this ecclesia, is alive and well in the world today. And we need to say, okay, they're doing it better in Brazil than us. What do we need to do to make this movement so alive, so beautiful, so, uh, so desirable that people are saying, Count me in. Let me say something 
very personal here. Um, besides your family, there is no greater investment for your time, your talent, your treasure than the local church. Hope Covenant Church, in your case. Not just attend or watch, but to engage. See, you are part of the solution. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 26. You can read the whole text. It talks about Christ's body, how that we are the body of Christ. Here's what it says. All of you together are Christ's body. All of you together, including Compass and Crossroads and Grace Community Church and, and uh, uh, the Bridge Covenant Church and all these different, you, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Each of you is a part of it. Now, granted, some of you are eyes as some of you are elbows. We're not all the same. We're not, we're not all functioning the same, but we need every single one of you to make the church real. Not just to attend or watch, but engage. It's time to re-engage. Three ways, very practical, three ways to engage. Number one, listen for come sit with me opportunities. Now, when I was here, we used to always had the, the tagline, uh, invest and invite. And what that meant, we, we drummed this into our people over the years. Invest in my means you invest your life in the lives of people that you care about, uh, people that you know that aren't Christ followers. You invest your life in their lives. And then when the opportunity comes, you invite them to come to a service or attend an event or something like that. That was invest and invite. Well, this is even more powerful and even more remarkable. Listen for come sit with me opportunities. When a person says, please join me at church and come sit with me, there's a 50% higher chance that they'll actually come. Because it's not just a general, hey, sometime when the church is open, you come. Well, people aren't going to do that. But come and sit with me. And there's some things you can listen for. Uh, people might say something like, well, I'm not really in church. I'm not really a faith person. I'm not really a Bible person. That's okay. That's all right. That's, that was me not too long ago. But come and sit with me. Um, or somebody says, well, I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, things are not going well in my marriage. Uh, things are not going well with my children. I, I just lost my job. Oh, there's a perfect not opportunity, right? Hey, come sit with me. You know, Maybe God will say something, do something, help you see something that will be of benefit to you. Come sit with me. Or they might say, oh, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I need a new job. I've got to buy a house. I, I understand all this. Come sit with me. You, you can't invite somebody if you're not coming to church. Right? So come sit with me. What would it be like? Now, the statistics say that Every time you invite somebody to church, uh, it'll take um, five or six. One out of five or six will actually do it. Okay, so it will happen. So what that does, that should give you some relief. Okay, Whew. you know, nobody's going to really come when I invite them for but that fifth or sixth time. That, that one time, listen, listen. That one time, it's your neighbor, your coworker, your fellow student at school comes with you. That one time, they come, and they hear about the love of Jesus. And maybe not in that moment, but maybe somewhere down the line, but that one time, 
will invite somebody to come into a relationship with Jesus. And that's where you get to partner with the Holy Spirit in seeing someone have their life absolutely changed. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the movement that we are a part of. Not the building, that's the movement that we are a part of. Listen for come sit with me opportunities. Second thing, participate in a small group. I know that sounds kind of corny. Doug says it every week, but this is absolutely vital. I'll tell you why. Connection. Sunday morning for 75 minutes, you're gonna say hi to a few people, You'll shake a couple hands. If you're like my wife, you'll spend more time than that. But you're going to just say hi to a few people and everything, and that's all good. But that's not really the kind of connection that changes your life, right? But small groups do. So uh, Sherry and I, are, I'm part of two small groups. Uh, our, the one we go to, uh, 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 Andy and Deanne's small group. But also I'm part of the men's discipleship group on Friday morning. We have eight to 10 men that show up. By the way, anybody is welcome. If you're man enough... Uh-huh, right? 6 a.m. on Friday morning, if you're man enough to join us, you're all welcome. So, but what, what, what I found in that group, um, we've been sharing our stories of our, our, each one of us have shared our story. And these guys now are no longer just guys I see. These are guys that are my friends that I'm connected with. I know their life. I know their story. There's something powerful about that. Be part of that. Be part of that kind of connection. The third thing is this. Simply volunteer. Because you are the church. You are the movement. You are the gathering. Volunteer. Say, hey, I want to help. What can I do? We all have different gifts, different abilities. What can I do? How can I help? I, I've, I've said this often when I do premarital counseling um, to young people that are getting married. And these days, sometimes it's older people that are getting married. And I say, here, I have a magic bullet for you for your marriage. And of course, they always sit up and say they want that, you know, they want a magic bullet. And so here's, here's the magic bullet, um, I tell them. Uh, when, if you get married, that's cool, but 53% uh, of those who get married will get a divorce. Okay, there's the bad news. Here's the good news. If you do three things together, that number changes to 20%. Get, get a divorce. What are those three things? When a couple worships together, Praise together and volunteers together. Okay, that's not part of my sermon. That's just a little thing you can take with you. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids, okay? And so those are just some ways to engage. Now, I just want to close here. I'll ask the worship team to come up. My heart is broken over the division in the church in America. My heart's broken over the loss of influence. 65% say they're Christians instead of 95% in 1950. I'm very bro broken over the political climate. Where did you know that you have been reduced to a voting block? Isn't that disgusting? The Democrats and Republicans are fighting over you, the Christians, because they know you're a powerful voting block. We've been reduced to that. The, the dissension... The, the racism we still feel, um, the way that we treat women sometimes, all of these things just, just break my heart. But listen, something can change. Disagreement happens. We'll all recognize that. But disunity is a choice. We need to demonstrate our faith 
here, here's what I, here's a picture of what I would like our church to look like. So um, you're a part of this movement, this gathering. And your life has been so transformed by Jesus that um, you treat your wife in a way that the world takes notice. You say, wow, I, I, I see the way that uh, that guy treats his wife. And I see the way that, that that boss treats his employees. I see the way that student uh, treats her students, another student who's being bullied. I see that. Now, these people say they're Christ followers, and I don't really understand that. I don't know how to access that. I don't know how to be a part. But I want a part of that. See, I want to be that. See, when the world looks at us, what does it say in John 13? The world will know what? We are his disciples by how we love each other and by how we love our enemies. The world will know that. They will know that we're not just a building. We are a movement of the Holy Spirit. We are a gathering of Christ followers to be here, to encourage each other, to bless each other, and to go out in the world and be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and win the world once again. The greatest mystery in the history of the world happened because of the church of Jesus Christ, and that's you. You are that movement. You are that gathering. And nothing will change the world except the church of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you've allowed us to be part of the church. There's so many times that we uh, get kind of weird about the church and say, well, I don't want to go. I don't like the music. I don't like the preacher. I don't. No, it's so much more than that. It's a movement of Christ followers that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the love of Jesus to the world that's lost taking the love of Jesus to those that we love and those that we do not love, those that are our enemies, taking the love of Jesus everywhere we go. Father, my prayer is that each and every one of us in this room, each and every one watching on Facebook, each of us, Lord, Lord will recognize that we are the church. We are the stewards of that movement. And we can continue that. And we can once again engage in such a way that the world will see that we are followers of Christ by the way we treat each other. Father, that's my prayer deeply in my soul, my prayer. And I pray that each of us would experience that. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your call to make a difference in the world. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Well, friends, we get to uh, live this out this morning. See, um, communion was something that uh, Jesus did with his disciples. Uh, we think of the word communion, we think of communing with God, and, and it's certainly that. But it's also, uh, it's also horizontal, right? Uh, we're communing with each other. L listen to what Jesus said um, when he was getting ready to experience this last Passover meal. This is Luke chapter 22. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, listen to this, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled 
in the kingdom of God. Guess what? Its meaning has been fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's you and that's me. This morning, we'd invite you to the table, as Joanna said earlier. Uh, communion is open in our church, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what other label you might put on yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to come to his table. It's his table. Commune with him and to commune with one another. I'd like to ask our servers, if they would, to go to the tables. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite, to invite you to come to one of these two stations and uh, receive communion. Take it back to your seats with you, and uh, then we will participate together after everyone has received uh, the uh, bread and the cup. Come to the table. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. Take and eat. also the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. How gracious your love is, Father. How beautiful your heart is towards us your children. And Lord, thank you that you have called us to be part of your body. You have called us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You've called us to be the church, this movement, this gathering that can change the world. And I pray that we would do that by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.